I sense a disturbance in the Force. You always sense a disturbance in the Force. I don't like this. Really pissed me off. Oh no! <laughs> it's a trap! Chewie, get us out of here! You can't run. Together by live simulation via the internet, Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell. Yes, I know. Hello and welcome back to Star Wars Monthly Monday. I'm Chris Honeywell and I am here once again with my fellow co-conspirator, Scott Gardner. No! <laughs> yes! And yes! We are joined this month by our special guest, Josh Bertoni. Hey, guys. And hey! I know you guys are probably eager for us to get back to the Marvel Star Wars comics after a whole month of Return of the Jedi, but you know what? Scott and I are just feeling special lately. And we're, you know we're... that this almost was a Marvel comic, right? Yes. yes. Okay. So I guess, I guess it almost... Uh... <laughs> yes, we did, Josh! <laughs> as a matter of fact. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, um... Sorry, energy drink. Um... Thank yeah... You. Yeah, we, we're we're doing another special episode of of Two True Freaks, and we're going to cover the Dark Empire comics, the whole uh, the whole kit and caboodle story. Woo-hoo. And you, usually, Scott and I, you know, you know how what hard workers we are. We write up a a really detailed and interesting synopsis for it. Well, we didn't do that this time because nope. we've got Master Synopsizer Extraordinaire, extraordinaire. <laughs> Josh Bertoni with us. Who is going to give you the intellectual breakdown of what the story of <laughs> Star Wars Dark Empire is? Okay, nope, so everyone's, no playing with the, everyone's, <laughs> yeah. everyone's playing with their Star Destroyers on Coruscant, and they make a big mess. So, you know, Leia and Han, they go to find Luke to clean up the mess, and they say, Alright, time to come home with us, you're done playing with your Star Destroyers. But Luke wants to go home with the Tornado instead. So Luke goes home with the Tornado, and for some reason R2 goes with him also. Um... The tornado takes him to the Emperor, who, oh, I guess he's alive, and he's like, join the dark side. Luke makes this life-changing decision in all of two seconds, joins the dark side, Leia gets a disturbance in the Force, and apparently um, it's a trap on that Black Mars planet. They're wrecking stuff everywhere with those world devastators, just devastating everything. That's what Um, they do. So Han decides to take Leia's mind off things by taking her to his apartment on the Hutt's home planet that no one's ever heard of till now. And apparently his butler's still there. Uh, Boba Fett's hanging out at the apartment too, and there's some Hutt's there, you know, and they're on the things from Wally. Um, Han's like, yo, Boba Fett, why are you at my apartment? He says, the Sarlacc spit me out. Oh, okay, cool. So there's a lot of chasing, and they wind up where Luke is. I think Han punches Luke. The Emperor says that he wants to impregnate Leia's unborn child somehow, so she knocks him over and steals his magic cube. Inside the magic cube, there's a bug that likes to talk about poetry of Jedi's. 
The bug says that Leia is the only hope, so Leia and Luke get together and make a big tornado and stop the Emperor, and they all live happily ever after. Yeah. Yeah. That's about it. <laughs> it's funny you call this a big tornado too, because in in that sequence with the with the big well, basically tornado that comes to get Luke. You know, I, I'm a very soundtrack oriented guy, and even if I'm not listening to music, my mind will fill in tornado music. I know it's coming. I was reading this. He's got R two. The Emperor's got R two D two in the in the basket of his bicycle as he's riding away. <laughs> exactly. I'm going to put this little droid to sleep. How do you like that? Running around my Death Star, plugging into my panels. It stops here. Well, well I mean, it, it, the tornado couldn't have been deadly because R2 and Luke were, like, right in the eye. And I guess I guess Luke's got his Jedi-ness to protect him. R2, I don't know. <laughs> you, just, I, you just have to assume that R2 gets put under the Jedi zone of protection or or whatever. Josh, did you read this when it was actually coming out and being published? 1991, no. But a few years later, um, I'd say it was r- around 1995 or 1996 when I was really getting into the EU. And I read, you know, Heir to the Empire. I was reading, you know, the Young Jedi Knights books that were being put out, which was about Han and Leia's children train the right. Jedi's and I got to the Jedi Academy series by Kevin J Anderson and it's like the ne- at the time that I was reading those they were the next chronological novels after the last command which was the last of the Zom books and right. they're referencing this stuff like Luke turning to the dark side and you know like um, Admiral Ackbar's planet being like you know a, 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 like, like just almost destroyed by these machines the Emperor being alive and I was like what, what, what? when did this happen what book was this Right. And uh, the internet wasn't that as big back then. I don't remember how I found out, but apparently I was like, oh, I got to read. And this is the funny thing, you know, me, comic book reader that I am now at the time, I was like, I got to read a comic book to get this story? Where the <laughs> heck am I going to find this comic book? And so I went to the comic shop and I saw a Dark Empire. But it was Dark Empire 2, issue 6 of 6. I was like, okay, so this should give me the story. But apparently what I got was part 6 of the sequel to Dark Empire. So it told me nothing. I was like, I want, when did Luke turn to the dark side? When did this happen? So I had to, before eBay was big, before, oh, I mean, before I was going to conventions, my mom somehow got this magazine that Dark Horse Comics put out where you could special order stuff. And we had to special order from Dark Horse Comics the trade paperback to Dark Empire 1. And when that came in, I devoured it. And I still have my copy of the trade paperback. And it's it has aged. The covers, like, come off. The spine's ripped. There's pages that are, like, loose. <laughs> so it's well-loved is what you're saying. Uh, I guess, yeah. It's uh, this was well like the, this, this was the MacGuffin for me because I was reading these novels and again this was like this missing story like in the narrative and like there wasn't a caption at the end of you know the Jedi Academy books to say to find out what Luke's talking about see the Dark Empire comic book you had no way of knowing right which I guess Bantham Books who was doing the books at the time they couldn't advertise a Dark Horse comic like I, I don't know how the logistics of it works if they if they're allowed to do that or not but. I mean, nowadays it would be easy. You can just go on like Wikipedia or something, and like, and then go to eBay or you know. Well, yeah, down- I guess 
I guess I, that's true. I was just thinking as find some, a CBR, you know, yeah. at, the, at the worst case scenario. Yeah, like, I mean, it's available. As somebody that's, that is, you know, very slowly making his way through the EU stuff for the first time, I'd like to think that maybe they've corrected some of that, you know, to where there are resources to lay this stuff out for you a little better. Because I would hate to to have that experience you're talking about if, you know, you get to a particular book after you've plowed through, you know, all these other ones. And then you get to one that references stuff that you go, wait a minute, that wasn't any where of the was stuff that, that yeah. I already read. Yeah, so I hope that doesn't happen to me, but it probably will. Probably will. A million well, comics as well as a million novels. Well, at the time that this happened to me, the EU was, like, so much smaller than it was now. There right, was, yeah. There might have been less than ten books of from the Bantham series. There was the Marvel comics, and there was, you know, what Dark Horse didn't have nearly as much out as they did right now. And it was, like, the Bantham books used to have a timeline in the back of their novels. Right. And it was a small timeline. It only went up to, like, ten years past Return of the Jedi. It, it's huge now, and I'm noticing that depending on what resource you use to to try to follow a timeline, that certain books go in different order depending on what resource you use. So that's kind of weird, you know, because some novels actually happen concurrently, and then others, you know, the dates are so fuzzy that one list will, you know, list them one way, and then another list will, li- you know, list them slightly different. So yeah, it's there's definitely. A lot disparities. Of, yeah, yeah. There's, well, there's just so many books now too. But let's 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 hear it. I, I'm very curious okay. your opinion on this. Well, that's 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 funny because that leads right into my origin story. Because I think it was it was a year or two ago you mailed me the trade of Dark Empire. I'm pretty sure it was you because that was before I was actually getting sh- swag from the uh, or maybe somebody had given it to you and you already had a copy of it but you sent it to me and you're like i'm very interested to hear what you say about this and i'm like okay cool and then i f- probably forgot about it <laughs> until until this show where i had to read it and then i put it so i put it in the bathroom but i'm going into tmi um origin story put it in the crapper you know next to the toilet <laughs> so that i would be you know so i was guaranteed reading time on it you know every day that i would definitely be reading it and I think originally we were going to do the first three issues, and I started reading it, and I just read the whole thing, you know, because it's it's it was six issues, I and I just sort of plowed through it. It's not very, it's not very, it's not as dense as the old Marvel comics, right? And uh, yeah, and uh, the uh, it had a very interesting that the trade has a very interesting article on the origin of it and this the sort of scandal involved with with um, the author of. Of the book of the trilogy of books, oh um, Timothy Zahn, Timothy Zahn, and, and <laughs> the, his... the the trade is a lot nicer about like like the introduction is a lot nicer about the controversy than I've seen other sources about it. Being. Yeah, I could read between the lines that that there were some artists, you know, art not artists as in drawing artists, but just art. There were some artistic differences running and some right some toes being stepped on as to continuity and, and how characters were, were... It changed a major story point of Chapter 1 that pissed a lot of fans off. And that was all interesting to me, but I haven't... You know, I read the first Timothy Zahn book when it first came out, and it's so vague in my memory now that, you know, it was just sort of an interesting thing. But overall... I'm going to, for my opinion on this, I'm going to go way, way back, and I don't know the episode number, but it was in our first dozen 
two true freaks episodes or so where we did uh what we would do if we were cast with the responsibility of writing episode seven of right. Star Wars. And Scott and I usually are problem solvers. We usually come up with something to do and by the end, you know, we were we were boggled with what what you could actually do with the with the characters of Luke and Leia and Han and all all the original trilogy characters after Return of the Jedi to make it an interesting and vital story to those characters. How can they continue to grow and be interesting and have a whole that the whole I mean basically they were all involved in this cosmic adventure, you know, that was not only their adventure but it it involved the whole sort of known universes as to overthrowing the empire and stuff like that and it's like would these characters continue to be in you know or, or would they just be living their, their life out or whatever or what would you do to take them on an arc and they tried if, if i can just this. jump in here for just a second that was episode three of three. two true freaks wow <laughs> that was the next episode after our our massive uh look at um spielberg. steven spielberg yeah so yeah, it was yeah. So yeah, that that was episode two, but episode two was really like four episodes. But yeah, and it, it's just hard to do anything with these guys. And they tried, and and I was reading this, and my my overall view. I I remember when uh, you sent it to me, you were you were saying, Scott, that there was a lot of controversy over the artwork, and you know, almost as much as the story, the artwork. I, I didn't think it was bad. I think it actually suited the sort of operatic storyline that they were trying to, to you know, they were trying to do a, a really, you know, intense storyline. So the art is very, it's it's not super abstracted, but it's a little abstracted and it's very like dark colors and muted tones and what like a lot of frames are just one color or just a couple colors. It's very dark and uh, gothic-y. And that sort of fits the story, but the problem with it is the story, and I don't blame the writers, because they really tried hard, but it's such a quandary with this stuff to write, you know, I mean, I read it, and I, and I was like, okay, I'm I'm following this story, but there's a lot of elements that are just sort of, I don't want to say dredged up, but you know, the Emperor's back, just the, the turning to the dark side... With with Luke and Boba Fett's back, you know they're they're bringing back all the you know they're bringing back stuff that people like to see, but it just doesn't feel there isn't a sense of reality to it to me, you know. I, I it's it's hard to explain. I I, I don't want to be like I'm I'm really down on it, because really I think it's about as good as you're going to get for trying to do what they're doing. Right. But it's just so hard to do that. There's definitely some interesting ideas that are presented in it. And I was thinking to myself, because it was funny, because totally somebody who didn't even know we were doing this episode or planning on doing this episode recently, I can't remember who I was talking to, but was like, "Have you, you should uh, listen to the audio drama of Dark Empire. And I said, oh, there's an audio um, adaption of adaptation of it, and I started thinking to myself, "Well, maybe it was a book first, 
you know, and maybe I'm missing a lot of the shading because they're, you know, this is the adaptation of the book. So you're just getting the dialogue. You're missing inner dialogue and stuff. So maybe it just doesn't seem as maybe it only seems sort of rushed along and and like this. And it doesn't have that much resonance because it's just an adaptation of a book, you know, so it's not doesn't have the depth. But then I was informed by Scott that no, it's sort of its own thing. And yeah, I was thinking maybe if I read the book to this, I I would enjoy it more because it would it would fill in some of the details. Because there were things that I liked, like I liked the idea of Han's old apartment. I wish we would have. I I love the idea of abandoned apartments that you go back to with all your stuff in it, you know. And it would be interesting to see Han Solo's old hideout. And 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 you, you could imagine that he would have a few hideouts, you know, strung along around the universe or you know the galaxy. Uh, but it just sort of it just sort of happens, and I like the idea of I I I did and I didn't like the idea of the emperor being cloned over and over again. Because when I look at this, I'm like, well, doesn't the emperor understand that sort of he's kind of screwed because every time he takes on a Padawan, it seems like lately, or you know, a new Sith Lord, they just betray him. So what is his purpose of turning Luke? I mean, shouldn't he? Because cause it's sort of when Luke turns to the dark side in this, it's sort of a kind of half-ass turn to the. He's turned to the dark side, but you're pretty much told, "Don't worry, he's just playing it from the inside." You know, right? Yeah. He's, that Anakin's plan, though. That was Anakin. That was Anakin's plan. Well, no, Anakin was just trying to save his wife, and probably use that as a justification. Luke got in there and started doing it. Well, no, I guess I guess you're right, actually, about Anakin, now that I think about it for two seconds. You know, he probably, you know, he was saving his wife, but he was like, but I can still... He thought he was doing the right thing. He, I can he, imagine that most Jedis who turn to the dark side do it thinking, well, I'm just going to pretend to turn. But then, like, you know, they become more and more far gone. in it, yeah. Which is but, what um, was starting to happen with Luke. But, I mean, Luke was marshalling the, the new Empire's battle plan and he was subverting it he was he was setting it all up so they'd lose and i like that idea that maybe the emperor you know and this isn't something that i really got out of the book it's something i more interpolated from my own is you know the emperor dealing with the fact that okay everybody that i obviously everybody all my siths are gonna betray me at some point you know so i'll just keep cloning myself and working working that into, and I'll get killed again and okay I'm gonna have to get cloned again and 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 this is something this is just a, a side detail that that doesn't work with the new with the, the the prequel trilogy is when he comes out as this sort of blue fresh clone you know the young vital emperor with no junk with no yeah. junk and yeah, and, and he's all buff and you know okay he's a fresh clone so he's the tough version of the emperor but when you look at Palpatine, when he was just, you know, a regular senator guy, he was never a big guy. You know, he was a little wimpy, little wimpy guy. So wouldn't you just have another little wimp, you know, wouldn't you have well, just another kinda, Senator Palpatine? Or do you think they're perfecting it, genetically perfecting exactly, his clone or yeah, something? Exactly, yeah. I kind of looked at this the same way, you know, borrowing a, a page from, you know, the Superman playbook. Um you know, there was that storyline, and I'm trying to remember exactly. Actually, it would have been 
sort of around this same time in the Superman books, they killed off Lex Luthor and then they brought in his son and it turned out that his son wasn't really his son at all. What it was, was Luthor faked his own death, had these scientists clone him a body and basically take out some of the genetic imperfections he didn't like, like the fact that he would go bald and stuff and they made him all buff and rugged and everything and that's the body that that he got, you know, out of the deal. And I kind of look at this the same way as that, you know, the emperor probably, you know, had his scientists do much the same thing as do a little bit of genetic tinkering. So not only does he get a new body, but he gets a new, you know, young buff, you know, like a perfected version yeah. of his original body type. Yeah, they add an extra can of midichlorians to him every time. Right. <laughs> but then, it, you know, that begs the question then is is the Palpatine that we were following all through the prequels and everything, was that the original body? And then when, when that died, that started this cloning process? Because I kind of got the impression that this story was trying to say that he'd been doing this all along. For a long time. He's like a yeah. vampire. He's been around for... That's for... what the story says. And that's what we were supposed to assume. Um, somebody from Lucasfilm... I think it might have been Leland Chi, the, like, continuity guy. Like, he answered in one of those Q&As that um, the Emperor was lying, that his original death is still Return of the Jedi. Oh, okay. So, like, so, that, so that's been answered, like, outs- outside of Dark Empire. And for those who are listening and, like, thinking that this is just traditional cloning, what it is is when the Emperor dies, his essence or, like, soul, his life force jumps bodies. Like, that's what it is. That's why he's right. able to, like wake up with all of his same memories and like he's not just having clones screw each other over okay so he's just yeah he's just sort of got a, a an empty vessel it's so then that makes it more like avatar or something <laughs> where they just they build up a body and then put you in it right but, yeah and it's uh like and that's that's why he wanted to go inside of uh leia's child and um um, I, I don't know if you guys read the sequels, but there's a sequel, um, Empire, in, in the last chapter, which is Empire's End, he actually tries to get inside of Anakin, Solo, the youngest of the Solo children, and he almost succeeds, but, well, you'll see what happens when you get, if you ever get to it. See, I, I was gonna say that a possible no prize, because I had the same feeling that Chris had, that ultimately... For one, why does he keep taking on Padawans? But specifically, why does he take Luke in this, even when he admits to Leia late in the story that he knew all along that that Luke was just faking and that he was undermining the war effort and everything. And I guess the only possible explanation was that he was doing all this ultimately to get closer to Leia. To to lure Leia. Yeah, because he wanted the unborn child, but then that begs the question did he know about that all along i mean was this ultimately that was his goal he was making a a, a play for this unborn child well as the, as we found out the emperor the plays story. palpatine plays long games you know he's right. he's a master of the like you know setting things up for years and waiting for the pieces to all go the way he needs them to so that's possible of course that whole thing wasn't really set up when this was written either but it fits in i guess it could fit in i guess there's a there's a quote from it might have been um there used to be like role-playing game books and stuff that would come out for these storylines and i'm trying to find it because i know it's on wikipedia where 
the Emperor actually addresses to one of his aides that he knows that Luke, you know, is only half in this. And he knows that Luke is, you know, uh, like, sabotaging the world devastators. And to him, that's just collateral damage for the greater good. Um, right. Because right. you know, he knows that, like, the longer that Luke pretends, the, like, the more and more he's in his grasp. And well, I thought yeah. that that was cool. And in the prequels, you also learn that he is willing to lose a lot of battles in order to win the war. As a matter of fact, he'll 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 even set up losses that that will ultimately, you know, he'll delay his gratification and set up a whole bunch of losses to make it look like something's happening to just to reverse things. So, yeah, you know, he is he is playing a big chess game. I mean, a lot of that is just sort of picked up after, you know, after after reading this. It's not really spelled out in the book, which is good. But I don't know if it was something that they really meant to do or if it's just something us nerds, you know, fill in. Either way, either way, I mean, it's fine. I mean, I don't want to sound like I'm going to I'm I'm trashing this because I, 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 I just I can't trash it because I don't think I could have done better. But I just I think it's almost it's 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 just something I, I would never want to be you know, responsible for having to continue these characters' stories. And I think maybe that's why Lucas did the prequels rather than go in the, the episode 7 route, and plus the realities of having the, you know, you're never going to get Harrison Ford at, at the age he's supposed to be in to, to do, like, say, this story. And the characters don't feel wrong, but they just don't feel very alive in this, you know? I don't feel, I, I never feel, never felt a sense of danger for Luke or for Princess Leia in this. A, because they're not going to get, they're still not going to get killed off. <laughs> right. So, you know, you just know that's, that, that even if they wanted to for the story, I'm sure they probably wouldn't be allowed to do that. I'm sure that was like one or two in the, the, the rule book that they had to, to follow for this. So you, you never, and, and the same, I mean, it would be the same, I guess, possibly in a, well, maybe not for a movie, because that would be canonical, but yeah, I just, I, it never, the story never sucked me in. It was, there there was the, like the Devastators, the Devastators were neat. Also, going back to the original Clone Wars cartoons, the Cell Animation ones, they reminded me of those big in that that stomper great episode, things, those yeah. stomper things that uh, Mace Windu went up against. They yeah, reminded see, me of that, but they were sort of you know they you run into that trouble where they're like, okay, we don't want to do another Death Star, but you know the Empire's got to have some weapon, so this is their their big indefeatable weapon in this, you know. So it's just more of that like, up oh, the Empire's come up with a new weapon. See, I like the idea of those world devastators. I think they're they're a really cool concept. They they uh-huh. were a great visual and everything. Uh-huh. But I got a little tired of them. Kept you know several characters, and, and I don't have specific notes here, but several characters keep making reference to the fact that these things are, you know, as bad if not worse than the Death Star. And I'm thinking, no, they're not, dude. They they come down and they tear up a whole lot of shit. But the Death Star pretty much just comes in and blows your planet up. Disappears you know, your planet. Yeah, yeah. So how is this worse? You know, I didn't really understand that. I mean, I understand. All the Iranians were around when they said that. Right. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, well, I don't think you have to worry about there being too many Alderanians around when you say stuff like that in, at this point in time That's in the Star Wars universe. That 90s EU did a lot. 90s EU would, was, like, very, very, like, you know, e- each of the new books or storylines would be about some rogue Imperial Admiral with some super weapon, and every single super weapon was, oh my gosh, it's even worse than the Death Star. Right. Like, you, you, get, you get so tired of hearing it. Um, it almost so has to be, yeah. See, I've given the two sequels to this a cursory read when when I find because my origin story on this is is as simple as I remember when this came out and being very excited that there were going to be Star Wars comics again, and this was this was really at the height of when I was really really into comics as far as being you know one of those polis guys and being up to the minute on news and no you know just i had my finger on the pulse of the comic industry at this time you know i i was really keeping up with what was coming along so i remember anticipating this hugely and it came out and i want to say i got i think i got the first two issues and was just vastly underwhelmed i i felt lost which was an odd feeling for me as a lifelong star wars fan who had been there from the very beginning i didn't like that feeling of how is it possible that i just don't know what the hell is going on you know when i'd never missed anything star wars you know i'd read everything you know i'd seen everything from you know the movies i'd read all the books that had ever come out all the comics Mm -hmm. you know i'd seen the you know the tv special I'd read the friggin' newspaper strips. I knew everything Star Wars, or so I felt at the time, because that was a time when you really could know all Star Wars. And I jumped into this and just felt like, wow, I just don't know what the hell is going on here. And so I, I know that as it was being published, I didn't read the whole thing. And I remember quite a while went by, because I remember I went into a comic shop in Atlanta, and found one of the issues I needed to complete the series there when for some reason at some point, I think I just got tired of hearing all the talk and all the hype about how great it was and everything. And I decided to go back and like track down the issues I was missing and, and buy it, you know, and read it. And I'm thinking this was probably like 93, 94. So I finally went back, tracked all the issues down. I remember having to pay some, you know, collectible prices for it and stuff, which kind of annoyed me. But I finally sat down and read the thing, and I was able to follow it a little better. But I was still the the, the overall thing for me walking away from it was just I was vastly underwhelmed by it. For one thing, it's two ninety five an issue, which even today I still think is expensive, especially for something that is largely splash pages, and that just annoys me. It's like that. That Batman, what's that story, Hush, that everybody makes such a big deal about, that one annoys the shit out of me, too, because it's this storyline that got drug out way too long over too many issues, and it's mostly splash pages, and there's very little to the actual story. Those type of things annoy the hell out of me. It's like, why is this not just a one-shot graphic novel rather than you drug it out over six issues? Because this story feels like if they're going to go for this sketchy style anyway, just jam it all into one story and, and charge me 10 bucks or whatever. You know, why make it three bucks a pop, you know, over the course of six issues? Well, um, because they make more money because that they made, Yeah, exactly. They made a ton of money. Um, and a ton I, of sequels. I've got just a, a couple 
not really even specific notes, but I got a couple notes that kind of vaguely go issue by issue, but then I just wanted to kind of cover my overall feeling on the thing. Um, I do love the covers. I think the covers to to each issue are really spectacular. I've always been a big fan of uh, Dave Dorman's stuff, and he does a great job with the covers. Um, so you can't really fault that. Unfortunately, Cam Kennedy's art just doesn't do it for me as far as Star Wars goes. He's a fine artist, but he doesn't... To me, Star Wars needs a certain clean art style, and his is not a clean art style. His is more, you know, suited to something like it's Vertigo. It's a little Frank miller or, Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I can see... I can definitely see his roots because, you know, he's a, he's a guy that got his start, you know, with the UK stuff. And I can definitely see that UK influence here. So it just, it, it doesn't have an art style that, to me, says Star Wars. Although I do like a lot of his vehicles. I like how he does, like, AT-ATs and stuff. So the vehicles generally look pretty cool. I just really don't like his people. And his art is not helped by the coloring. I hate the coloring in this series. It's muddy and moody, and I don't know what exactly they were going for, but I, again, it, it doesn't help an art style that already doesn't feel very Star Warsy to me. Uh, and I think it dates the book horribly. I think it just screams 90s when you pick it up and flip through it. Uh, one of the very few specific notes I have as far as the story is in the very first issue, and I think this might be a symptom of this book originally supposed to be part of the Marvel Star Wars stuff. I noticed that part of the battle force that arrives on Coruscant at the very beginning of it was composed of Ewoks. And I was like, what the nah. hell? Yeah, that didn't make any sense to me. It's like, why are you trucking Ewoks along with you as a battle force? That just seemed really silly well, to me. It would, be like the, it would be like the UN going into some country and like pulling some strange, you know, some obscure African tribe that lives right. back in the Stone Age that's never seen men and like, let's go get their finest warriors, you know, right, and bring them right. into Iraq with their... The, I mean, the Ewoks are literally, you know, they're going into a laser fight with spears and... Right. And Ewok Thankfully, teeth. they're in the background and, you know, they're not, you know, they... Yeah, they, they're kind of Easter egg style, yeah. yeah. Exactly. So that You it's don't not, see them after issue one. Right. Well, it's actually, I think it's like for two panels, but it was just enough for me to to make note of it and go, huh? <laughs> Plus, I mean, I don't think they're uh, based on the mood of Endor anymore by this point. So again, I think that might have been just a, a holdover from the origins of this book. I noticed in issue one, something that Chris and I have been speculating about for a while is General Dodonna. General Dodonna comes back. And what does he say? Princess Leia, thank goodness you're back. <laughs> yeah. I think that answers a little bit. I think that that's uh, yeah. We will go for a debriefing in my chambers. I just ran out of space lube, and you you just came in <laughs> right in time. And then that was the thing, though, because he's back in this, and um, that was a mess up because he dies in the newspaper strip. So somebody wrote like a behind the scenes retcon that like, oh, uh, they found his body. He was still alive because. If you if you read the newspaper strip, he like suicide bombs himself when the rebels escape from Yavin base. <laughs> um, I had a note for issue one, but I think, or actually, I'm sorry for issue two, but I think it carries through pretty much the whole series. Unfortunately, is I don't think Han Solo's dialogue in particular is Han Solo ish. 
there's a lot of moments in this where I read his dialogue and just could not hear Harrison Ford delivering it. it I there think was they were trying about... to portray potential Han Solo, potential family man. Yeah, you know, grown up Han Solo didn't work for me. Where he's got a little bit of his grit and swagger, but right. he's he's more res, you know more responsible and you know a family man. But you know, Leia's in a couple instances, Leia suffered from the same thing because there was one part, and I think it's in issue four, but I I failed to make note of it, where she says something. It's like blah 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 blah, darling. And I was like, who the hell is she? You know, Sue Richards? That just it, I can't. I don't hear Princess Leia calling. Han Solo darling it just didn't work for me I was like you know it was just an awkward bit of dialogue but I'm not entirely down on it because there are some things that I really liked and one of them that I liked a lot now granted see I'm I'm looking at this from a whole different perspective not having been a part of this you know not really a part of it as it was being published now that I'm making my way through the EU I'm actually kind of getting in on this story in a, in a whole different timeline as other people. So when you get to issue three and they go to uh, uh, Narshada, is it Narshada or Nalshala? Whatever it is. It, you know, and they go back Nalhada to Hanzo. is Is that it? Nalhada? Nalhada? No, Nalhada is Nalhada. the planet. And Nalhada is the planet and Narshada is the moon. Well, you know, they, they meet up with, with some of Han's old buddies and, and his old girlfriend and everything. See, when I got to that part of this story, I got really excited about that because I had recently just finished the uh, A.C. Crispin Han Solo trilogy. Now, I'm sure that these characters probably first appeared in this story. But from my perspective, I had already met them in that trilogy, you know, in their proper timeline perspective, you know, when they were actually, you know, like when she actually was Han's girlfriend and everything. So to me, it was like old home week, you know, it was like, hey, I know these guys, you know, I remember, you know, like when Han was dating her and I remember when he was hanging around what's his name's garage and stuff like that. So that part of it, I liked a lot, but that was just because. You know, for me, it was it was reading it out of order. So I liked that a lot. I thought that was neat because some of those characters I really thought were cool. And I liked the fact that the one guy ended up betraying Solo, you know, which was something that, you know, I didn't see coming at all because he didn't strike me as that kind of character from, you know, the Crispin books. I did like seeing Boba Fett again. However, you know, this is like the umpteenth time now that Fett has showed up and then ends up looking like a complete incompetent chump he's and I'm kind kinda, of a comedy he's almost yeah. a comedy buffoon in this one he is and nobody I'm so, takes him seriously he's sort of does. treated as yeah. a pain in the ass actually yeah and I, i'm really tired of that by this point because he's supposed to have this killer rep and so far i'm having a lot of trouble finding a story where he holds up to that killer rep because you know, he can take out the small fry, but every time he goes up against, you know, one of the Star Warriors, he ends up looking like an ass. And it's like, all right, you know, just one. I mean, of course, he's not going to kill Han or Luke or somebody. But every once in a while, I'd like to see him give them like a serious bloody nose just to prove he's a real threat to them. You know, mm-hmm. and, and we're just not really getting that every time he runs up against him, he gets the short end of the stick. 
And well, when you have a real threat in a story like this, the threat is always nipping at your heels. Exactly. It's nipping at your heels, then there's a confrontation, and you either beat the threat or they get the better of you, but it's always like driving you forward. And Boba Fett in the Star Wars stories is always just sort of there, then he gets whooped, and then he's and then it's over with. You know, it's, yeah. not, it's, it's not Boba, ha- Boba Fett, you know. He's coming for you, you know. There's, you know, that that unstoppable force, badass coming after you. See, and again, this might be exacerbated by the fact that, like I say, I just finished not long ago reading the AC Crispin Han Solo trilogy, and they run up against Boba Fett uh, a couple of times, maybe several times in that, and every time in that trilogy, again, it's Boba Fett ends up looking like a real chump and so it just it has a cumulative effect after a while that you just you know he shows up and it's like oh, okay this guy you know rather than you know being that big bad oh my god it's him moment you know and so yeah it's like inspector clouseau is on the scene <laughs> exactly. except inspector clouseau actually bumbles his way to victory and- right. exactly well you know it, it comes off like uh that's you know, a fan edit right there. Boba Fett scenes with Peter Sellers' <laughs> voice put it in there. Oh, how about him and Obi Wan fighting, fighting on on the the you know the landing pad with with Cato and um, <laughs> Clouseau sound effects put over it. That would be awesome. I want to hear Clouseau fall into the Sarlacc pits. <laughs> ah, that felt good. Yeah, no, I want to hear that too. Um. Couple more quick notes. He, he here. goes. He goes to balls to get the his costume to sneak <laughs> into the <laughs> Jabba's palace. Uh, I'm sorry. There's a part in the fifth issue that that really, I, it, it's the part where the Millennium Falcon is inside like this planetary shield, and they end up going to light speed to get through the shield. Did, he, did you guys catch that too? Yeah, and I'm I like, I, I was like, don't just, just, think light speed works that way. Yeah. I would think you would just plow into it that much faster, wouldn't you? Uh, I guess they're saying at some point you go to some quantum thing, and if maybe if you quantumly go into hyperspace before you hit the shield, you're somehow beyond it or something. I don't think Doesn't that, that works go direct because counter to what Han says in the very first movie about them flying right. with star or bouncing. Right, we have to calculate star. all this to make sure that we don't run into something which right, yeah. says that you're just basically you're not really going through a wormhole or anything. You're just going really fast. Yeah. In a straight line. So you have to make sure that straight line doesn't run through anything. Right. Well they actually had Leia, you know, use one of her force tornadoes or something to like take them through. <laughs> Fornados. Um, Which never tornadoes. again. At least that I've ever seen. <laughs> I noticed that in the letters pages that they published in several of the issues, there seemed like there was an awful lot of dissing of the old Marvel series, and that bugged me a lot. I didn't that like always that. bugs you. Yeah, I, I didn't care for that, but my, my I thought biggest... that the Marvels were the worst when I was growing up because I read Dark Horse and every single Dark Horse like letters pages, they would have the worst things to say about these Marvels. So like, and they'd print all these letters. So I had the just the worst view of them in my brain before I actually read them. Right. Yeah. And I, I think that that's something that that's persisted, and I think it's given the the Marvel stuff 
a, a bad reputation to to the point where I think a lot of people that never actually even read any of that stuff, they just grew up hearing how awful it was. They've they've picked up and, and carried forward that that chant of how bad it was without ever actually going back and investigating this stuff. And that bugs me. I, I hate when that sort of thing happens. Well, the, you know, it was that time period and Dark Horse, I think, sort of represented that it, 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 to, to a degree the the general attitude of like being cool and sort of distanced and ironic with things and and the and the Marvel comics were very you know they were very just openly fun entertainment comics they were they were they were fluffier than the stuff that was getting printed now so there it just seemed that time period there was a people wanted wanted to diss stuff like that you know right and i think that's i think that's sort of as and they're reprinting a lot of the marvel stuff because i think a lot of people now can read the marvel stuff without having to be like oh i'm too cool for this you know and actually right. and actually see what's enjoyable about those exactly find so, the good stuff that's in it yeah right at that time period i think almost you know i i don't think it was even say an organized attack at at the Marvel comics it was just that was the attitude that was sort of the the pose that dark horse had to strike so that's probably those are probably the letters they chose to put in there to say hey look this isn't you know this is a there's not going to be any jacks on in this this is going to be a serious <laughs> you know as if as if it was more like one of the movies you know that you would see continuation you know i think there was a serious desire to to put the franchise in that direction at that time period you know to get it more and and i think it might have been lucas also playing his long game towards the trilogies going someday i'm gonna do so i want to start getting and also building his saying well i'm not making any more star wars movies but i want to make keep people interested in star wars maybe we'll be a little more serious about trying to make the the franchise eu stuff be more like the movies or something right. or more under control so i think that that was why you saw a lot of dissing of the marvel comics you don't see as much of it anymore this is That's true for sure i, I just well, kind of wanted to can't very well print them because they're trying to sell them now right exactly, exactly. I was just going to kind of sum up. I, I have kind of a, you know, my, I want to get my big, you know, negative comment out of the way. And then I did have a big positive to throw out there. And then I want to kind of let uh, our guests, let Josh kind of sum out the episode for us. But uh, ultimately for me, this this series gets a grade of overall of just meh. You know, I mean, I don't hate it or anything, but my big problem with it, much like, the Thrawn books, and, and we're going to be talking about that pretty soon, so I'll save a lot of my thoughts on that. But to me, it's like, all right, what's worse than fighting the remnants of the Empire, which is really my big bitch with you know the Thrawn stuff, is that that's ultimately what it comes down to, is that the big baddie in that is the remnants of the Empire. So there's nothing, sort of thing. yeah, it's a mop-up. What's worse than that? bringing back the friggin' emperor. I just, that seems such a cop out to me. It's like, really, we kind of done this already. Why, why do you need to retread this ground? So it feels largely like a retread. And I know it's not a fair criticism of the book, but having Luke fall to the dark side for you and I personally, 
this falls into a realm of predictability because we already covered this. You know, when we were 15 years old, we were writing our own continuations of Star Wars. Yeah. And that's exactly where we went. But it's sort of if you want to make the characters interesting and vital, it's almost an inevitability. You almost have to go there. Otherwise, all you can do is make Luke into a Jedi superhero that goes out and fights battles. I would, I would he actually doesn't have an rather, internal battle. See, I would rather almost see something like that because my, my ultimate problem with not just this series but like the Thrawn stuff and for a long time kind of just where the EU as a whole went and why I have largely ignored it up until now was that I thought a lot of it was very predictable but also it's just – you know, when you drop in on old friends after five or six years, you want them to be in a good place in their lives. You don't want to drop in on them and, it, it, you know, not only haven't, hasn't their situation really improved in that time, but it's kind of degenerated. And that's kind of how I felt with this. Well, it's I, like, you I know, the last time we saw these... that, that's a That's a story there, but you want to see it degenerate. You don't want to come there and be like, oh, you know. Well, I mean, I I wouldn't mind if it had degenerated because there was some new and original thing that had come into their lives and was mucking about with, with their situation. But, you know, the last time we saw these guys, they were partying with the Ewoks because they just took down the Empire. Now we drop in on them and everything's gone to shit. And what's the big baddie? Oh, it's the Emperor's back again. And it's like, really? Come on. You know, give me something new and original. Let's see them battle a different enemy and... You know, so we've got Luke kind of following in his dad's footsteps, becoming the new Darth Vader. And it's just, I felt really let down by that concept. It was like, I just wanted something original, more original, I guess, is is ultimately my complaint. But not to end on a down note with that, there was one part of this that I really, really liked a lot. I, I reread this, I think. I think we really covered this at the perfect time for me personally, because this was something that, we were just talking about during Return of the Jedi month, and it was in issue four, and it was where Leia and Han go back to try to rescue Luke. And it was basically, it's the confrontation between Han Solo and Luke Skywalker as Luke is pretty much falling to the dark side. And I really liked this confrontation. It was pretty much what I had wanted to see where... You had uh, Luke, and he says here to at one point, uh, Han says to Luke, he says, uh, I can see you've really gone off the deep end this time, kid. Looks like being a Jedi was too much for you. So he's kind of chiding Luke about the whole Jedi Force thing. And Luke says to him, be quiet, Han. There are things far beyond the mind and powers of a space pirate, things you'll never understand. So he's kind of taking... You know, the, the highfalutin road, you know, that, oh, you're uh-huh. just, you know, what the hell do you know? You're just, you know, you're just a space pirate. You know, you're just a smuggler. And Han counters right back with basically telling him, look, farm boy, I, I remember where you came from. You know, don't get all uppity with me about your, you know, your Jedi bullshit, because I know exactly where you come from. I know you kind of thing. And there's a nice back and forth between the both of them about that whole thing where, Han really lends kind of a a grounding element to the story and to Luke in particular, because Han, I really liked the part where with the emperor, where they all go to see the emperor this time. It's not just Luke facing him alone. Like he did in return of the Jedi this time, the whole gangs together when they confront the emperor. And you would think that somebody like Han Solo 
would feel like completely out of his league or completely out of his depth. Yet in the conversation part of the story, he pretty much holds his own with the emperor because he's just that kind of guy where he just doesn't really kowtow to anybody or take shit from any, anybody. And I liked that a lot in this story. I really liked the fact that Han in the, in the long run, <laughs> he wasn't really overly impressed or, or intimidated by the emperor. Right. I liked that. And he didn't back down from Luke either, even though he could see by this point, he's come to accept that there's got to be something to this whole force thing. And he acknowledges it and everything. But at the same rate, he still doesn't let it put him off or intimidate him. That was an element of the story I liked a hell of a lot. I thought that was pretty cool. And that was something that uh, I would definitely like to, to see more of or read more of. And that was something I would have liked to have gotten a little bit of taste of from Return of the Jedi. You know, I actually had seen go on in the movie, you know, portrayed with Harrison Ford and everything. And unfortunately, we didn't get that. But I liked that element of this story a lot. Unfortunately, just the overall story that, that it was involved with just doesn't really work for me all that well, but that part of it I enjoyed. So, but well, I really want to, I want to hear what Josh thinks of this story well, because this was really his suggestion for us to cover this. So before we let him sum it up, I just want to get one short last thought in there uh-huh. before I forget it is I think this story would have been more interesting if it was more from Leia's point of view than it. There's a lot of Leia in this, but I would have liked to have seen it center around Leia and her, her starting to realize her Jedi-ness and being pregnant, you know, and, you know, while she's pregnant at the same time, it, it's a, a unique sort of story to right to look at. And I think it would have been, it would have had a lot more, um, and, and it would have been her, you know, it would have been neat to see her character be this, the focus of the whole story, you know, that's, that's all that, that was something you mentioned earlier made me think that. One thing, one thing that Chris said, I think it was Chris that said this, is in Chapter 1, he talks about the wreckage and stuff. I love those first few pages when the Falcon comes out of light speed and you see the wreckage from the space battle. Yeah. Like, that was some good stuff. And uh, I think, okay, well, I mean, I guess my general thought on the story is it's always going to hold a special place in my heart. And for just for lots of reasons, this was the one I sought out after when I was little, and I enjoyed it a lot and read it a lot when I was younger, so it's hard for me to think about it objectively now. It does have a lot of weaknesses. When I was younger, I couldn't stand, you know, Cam Kennedy's art, because, like, nobody was drawn, like, it was inconsistent, like, especially when you get up to Dark Empire 2, like, the, the faces and the hair would be weird, one panel but realistic the next, and... Like, it bugged me that nothing was ever the right color. But now, like, looking back, I cannot imagine this drawn by anybody else. It's like, it, it really does fit the story. And But, you know, it's it, looking at this objectively, too, it's, first of all, it this came out in 1991. It's very, it's, it's the Star Wars universe has become a much different place in the, like, 20 years since then. And I think that that's hurt the story a lot. You know, at the time that this came out, there was no rule of two. Nobody quite knew what a Sith was, except that Darth Vader was the Lord of the Sith. So, like, they called, like, like they never even mentioned the fact that Luke is supposedly a Sith in the story. He's a dark Jedi, or he's turned to the right. dark side. And when the Emperor's trying to turn Leia, you know, like, there's nothing said about the rule of two or anything like that. Yeah, and why doesn't Luke get a cool Jedi name? <laughs> right? Or a because cool Sith name, you know? 
nobody knew that there was other Darfs back then. It like this was 1991. It's you know, and 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 then 1992 when the next issues were published. Yeah, but you could have assumed that he would have been called Darth something because Anakin Skywalker went from Anakin to Darth Vader, so he'd be Darth Lefty. I mean, I think lefty. not just with the movies, but with Get the books, and the universe has gone in a much different direction and not just with the prequels, but with like, you know, the novels that came out after this and the comics that came out after this. And it just it makes the story seem much weirder than it probably was at the time. Like there's Jedi's doing crazy stuff in this story that like <laughs> that, that they haven't done since. Like the emperor like makes a black hole over, you know, like Coruscant and like sucks looks up like. Why didn't he do that before? There right. were so many times where that would have been a useful that thing. That would have come in really handy, yeah. And then, like, at the end, Luke and Leia hijack the big tornado. Like, that's like... And then it's just... The focus is more on, like, the whole Jedis and dark side thing. Like, the Emperor's about to, like, destroy their old base once and for all. And, like, he says on the communicator, just give me the Jedis. That's all I want. It's like, aren't you guys fighting a war here? Don't you want... But... He, he he's more upfront about it than he was back then, but this is it's a different Palpatine. And again, we didn't know that much about Palpatine back in when this was done. And Leia, she's um much more of a Jedi here than she is a politician. And in the subsequent comic books and in the subsequent novels, they go back to politician Leia and not like Jedi Leia. And it's just I get a much different sense of Leia here than I do in the other books. And Han, I agree with you guys about his voice and I, I know you like that conversation with him and Luke. I feel like he, like Han turned on Luke way too quickly. Like, immediately, like, I don't want to say sold Luke out, because obviously Luke sold them out, but he's like, he was just ready to dismiss Luke and, like, be like, oh, well, he's gone forever. Yeah, it wasn't like, the one point where he's like, well, we got to take him out, you know, or yeah. to that, to that right. effect. But then again, Han's a pragmatist <laughs> on some level, too. Well, speaking of that, that was one of the things that that did bug me a little bit was, uh, I think it's Dodonna. I could be wrong about which general it is, but I noticed that one of the generals, and I think Mon Mothma as well, says something about the fact that the the threat that they face now is like a a rising threat from the dark side of the force kind of thing. And that kind of bugged me only from the angle of, I always liked the thought that all this Jedi stuff that was going on in the original trilogy, that was kind of Luke and Vader in the Emperor's world. Everything that else was that Jedi was happening. Business. Exactly. Politics. Yeah. The two didn't the two they like, never politics really meshed, might have yeah. acknowledged the Jedi and stuff, but sort of like politics acknowledge religion now. They right. don't necessarily believe it, but they're like, ah oh, yeah, there's the Jedi out there, there's the you know, reformed church of the huts and and all this and whatever, and they all figure into it, but they don't they don't monitor what's going on with the dark and light right. side of the force. Well, you know, it's like when when Dodonna, you know, near the end of the original Star Wars, you know, after the little briefing says, you know, may the force be with you, it was almost like saying, you know, and God bless you guys, you know, God be with you. But you know, if suddenly angels came down to assist the X wings. I think he'd be the first one flipping out, you know. So well, in well, this, I was just gonna to say, what if so, the, what what about the space? Force atheists who go, wait a minute! I don't think it's appropriate to be talking about the force <laughs> here in this meeting. Well, I'm just saying that they they seem to take, they seem to suddenly acknowledge and realize and and just take perfectly in stride the fact that this is a, a now become a battle between the dark and light sides of the force. Whereas that's 
I, I think Josh, I, I think you've made this point before that that's not really the Star Wars that you like best. You, you, I think you're much more like me that you just enjoy the Star Wars where they take a spaceship, fly in, and blow some shit up, right? Yeah, I want to see an X-wing blast a Tie Fighter. I want to see, you know, a rebel chasing a stormtrooper. Right. You know, I, I, I mean, th- and this is like where it became more about that Jedi stuff because actually, yeah. Uh, in the back pages of this, it's where they like introduce like the Jedi's of centuries ago, and that eventually spun off into Tales of the Jedi, where it was like, right. yeah, this this book enhanced the mythology of the Jedi. Where like people mostly, might have been hungrier at this time for Jedi mythology than battles, actually, because you didn't have much to go on with with what Jedi's could do when you. Really, you know, I mean, all you had for Jedi in the original trip up to this point was Luke, who was sort of in training. You know, he hadn't realized his full power. So, I mean, that that was one of the things that people enjoyed most about the prequels is getting to see the Jedi right. at their peak doing their thing. So maybe they might have been like, well, you know, people really want to see Force tornadoes and what Jedi's are capable about. Right. But I, I agree. I think the Je- the Force stuff should be sort of an undercurrent in the background that's being dealt with with the Force people, and right. it affects the the big picture. But the big picture sort of plays out without knowing about it. You know, it's well, this behind-the-scenes thing exactly. that happens. That's one of the things I've always liked best about Empire and Jedi. And I guess you could even say a little bit, too, with the original Star Wars, like in the battle between Kenobi and Vader on the Death Star is that there's basically two stories going on. You've got all the, you know, Rebel versus Empire stuff, which is pretty much, you know, the running around, shooting, blasting, blowing shit up. And then you got the Jedi stuff going on. And the two never really intermingle all that much during the story. You know, there there are moments of it. And I think that's one of the reasons why Empire is such an awesome movie and you, you get a real sense of, ooh, this is cool. You know, the part where Vader captures... Leia and Han specifically to draw Luke out because that was one of the moments where the the Jedi stuff did kind of intrude into the quote unquote real world battle that was going on and it and it made for an interesting moment when suddenly it's perfectly integrated all the time I think it loses that that scent, you know that that coolness factor you know what I mean I I really was not comfortable with Mon Mothma and the generals just coming right out and saying we have a, a, a dark talking side. Like the and, Je- yeah, they're talking, yeah, like, talking the Jedi like the council. Jedi. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I just didn't work for me somehow. I really wanted it to be more about they were concentrating on fighting a war with sheer tactical and and leave issues. Leave that Jedi shit to Luke and, and whoever else. Well, in the original trilogy, it was, I mean, many characters said stuff like, I don't want to, you know, whatever, keep that Force stuff to yourself, you know. Let's, right. You know, I mean, so yeah. I yeah, find I it ironic it that at the same time that that this came out, and then like Josh says, you know, this inspired the the tales of the Jedi stuff that would soon follow and stuff. That this you know seemed to really be igniting or reigniting a lot of fires with other fans. I, I just find it, I don't know if ironic's quite the right word, but at the same time that was happening, it was exactly what drove me away because not long after this, I kind of just tuned out of the dark horse stuff for a long long time well, it's a new generation it, of star wars and it's like it was the next phase leaving your phase behind it, it was and it, and it just wasn't one that that largely appealed to me because i i did follow this for quite you know not specifically this one but when they started to get into like tales of the jedi 
I followed that stuff for quite a while and, and really tried to, to get into it and really enjoy it. But li- like you say, I, I just found myself that the more they got into the background of the Jedi and, you know, the whole light versus dark and the lightsabers and all, I, I just, the more they published of that stuff and the deeper they delved into it, the less and less interested I was. And I just was craving the old days where it was just stormtroopers and blasters and X-wings and TIE fighters. I mean, that's really the stuff I wanted most. And that for the longest time was the stuff they were publishing the least. I think it's at the end of issue five where like they're all in the millennium Falcon. And then Luke's like, Oh, by the way, Leia, I'm still on this. And then like he fades away and like, the Jedi's are so powerful that Luke can make like a construct of himself, like right. and telepathically communicate with it and make it seem like a real human, and like project undetect- it all the way onto the yeah into space and yeah, like they've never been able like in the way that like Luke and Leia communicate and I think it's issue two or three where like he appears as Darth Vader first, but then it's him like like th- that's a far cry from when he like sent her the Leia hear me in Empire Strikes Back. It's Right. Like, I mean, Qui Gon and, and Yoda, you know, in the and Obi Wan in the prequel trilogy. I mean, they still use holograms to communicate with each other. After Dark Empire, you did not see stuff like this happening again. And then, like, you got the one thing that this series has left the legacy for is this is the first appearance of holocrons, and holocrons have been in Clone Wars. They've been in the video games. That's like right. this series, like, has been immortalized because it created holocrons, and you know. Like it or not, you know, like, there's, like, I'm not going to name names, but there's people who says, well, the only thing that counts is Clone Wars and the movies. Okay, well, guess what? Clone Wars used holocrons. Where did the holocrons originally come from, geniuses? Well, there was one thing I was confused about in the very first issue. You know, as I say, I I just recently uh, finished, uh, you know, I probably said this before we got recording, but I just finished rereading um, Heir to the Empire recently. And there was a passage in there about where Luke was was wondering about, you know, actually, I think it might be the second book. I think it might be Dark Force Rising, actually, where Luke was doing some investigation about uh, Seaboth. What's that guy's name? Jared Seaboth? Whatever the hell his name is. And was speculating about, uh, as he was tracing this guy's career, about him eventually becoming a Jedi master. And he was trying to figure out exactly how did that happen? How did this guy go from being a Jedi to Jedi master? You know, who exactly granted that title and that sort of thing? You know, he was just trying to figure out how did that process work back in the day? And, you know, that story is supposed to take place. What roughly a year before this story. Well, I noticed that in uh, in the very first issue of this, when Luke confronts the Adat, which was a moment I really liked in the first issue, it identifies him right here. It says, Luke Skywalker, Jedi Master. Now, this is at a point when Luke is still pretty much, you know, save for Leia, who's still kind of a novice, Luke's pretty much the only Jedi. So did right. he just proclaim himself a Jedi Master? I mean, did he go ahead pretty and much. do... Yeah, so it it kind of well, I guess that this could tie into the whole thing where he's supposed to be falling to the dark side, you know. But again, I mean, is this a moment of pride, you know, leading to his fall or something? I, I'm just 
that really was one of those things that really jumped out at me when I read that. I was like, hmm, you know, but they never really go into it much in this. So is, is he self-proclaimed? Is is this some sort of foreshadowing of, of where he goes in the story? Or I don't know. I it was just kind of an odd moment. I think someone filled in the blanks years later and said that he proclaimed himself Jedi Master after the Thrawn trilogy. Mm-hmm. And that's, um, I don't know how accurate this is, but I've heard from like other interviews and stuff and other like behind the scenes things. But this was being written. And then Lucasfilm said, by the way, you should talk to Zan about this because, you know, your story's supposed to take place before his. Because this was supposed to take place a lot sooner after Return of the like a lot sooner after Return of the Jedi, like not six years later, but like months or a year later. So that's why Leia and Han's two children that were born in the Thrawn trilogy, they, there's like a few line of dialogue saying, "Oh, well, they're away somewhere." Right. Like, Leia being pregnant in the story it was supposed to be like her first pregnancy. So Tom Veach, I think it was, like went to Zahn and said, "Okay, you're going to put references to my story in your book," and Zahn said, "The hell I will." Or something along those lines. And that messes things up because they're fighting on Coruscant in the first issue and it's Imperial controlled. Well, if the rebels have it in, you know, heir to the Empire, then why is it Imperial controlled again? So then they had to add something in the opening crawls and like and in those back pages that give like the which I love those back pages. I thought that that was a cool thing. Uh, But they had to add. Oh, by the way, after Thrawn, the Imperials um, off panel got control of Coruscant again. And that was because that was because of the mix up with Zahn and Veach. But there's people who thought that Dark Horse decided to do that on purpose, making Coruscant become Imperial control again off panel. And this story gets blasted for it. I saw, I think I saw an Amazon review and like something on a message board where this guy pretty much ripped the story apart just on the basis of the fact that like they decide to make Coruscant in the first few pages of the book fall under Imperial control off panel. And I, I feel that that's very, very unfair. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. Uh, it sounds like someone who just doesn't want to enjoy anything. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I mean, I'll, I'm, I'm always willing to overlook stuff like that because i know there's that pro you know it's not one person writing every single story so there's bound to be toes stepped on and and you just sort of have to okay you know i mean it's just part and parcel of when you start getting and to con to have perfect control over a whole universe you know See, I think if you went into this story looking to nitpick it apart and the things that don't hold up and the things that don't sync up now that we've gotten the uh, prequel trilogy and all, I think you could probably have a field day. But see, I tried my best to kind of turn that off and just enjoy the story as a whole. And overall, I mean, I was actually pretty impressed by how well I think the story does fairly well mesh up and and still, you know, with, with with a minimum of tinkering fits Pretty nicely, I right. think, with the stuff that we got with the prequel yeah. stuff. So I, en- I, I enjoyed it. I mean, there I don't want to... No, there was no prophecy in 1991 about bringing balance to the Force by destroying the Sith. So that whole thing, like, well, the Emperor's back, so what about Luke, you know, destroying the Sith and bringing balance to the Force? Like, that didn't exist back then. Right. But right. now, that's another thing that this story gets picked apart about, but... You what know, can it was you do written, about that. Yeah. It was written in 1991. You know, Sith, Sith was just a word that Darth Vader was. the universe was a much different place you know i mean i've been sort of down on it on the sounding like i'm down on it but i'm 
I, I, I enjoyed reading it, and I think it was the best that somebody could probably do with, with dealing with that story. They did, they did a good job of, of trying to make a good story out of it, but I just don't think... I, I think it's something that po- probably shouldn't have been... <laughs> shouldn't have been <laughs> attempted in the first place. But uh, uh, since it was and it exists, it's, it's not bad for what it is. It's... Um, it was it was an it was a, definitely an interesting read, but it just it didn't draw me in and involve me. You know, it didn't it didn't right. uh, it didn't make me go ah oh, Star Wars. But I was like, okay, okay, I, I I see where somebody would would go with this. And that's yeah, that's about <laughs> all I have to say about that. I would kind of look at this now. Now that I think about it, I ju- literally just had this thought that. As I said before, you know, that, that this started, I wasn't really that interested in it. I wasn't really that impressed with it. And I kind of just kind of tuned out of the uh, expanded universe stuff for a long time. But now enough of it's come out and they've gotten so far down the, you know, the line with things that have happened since that now I'm kind of intrigued again. I guess you could look at this as both sort of the, the rough birth pains uh, of starting up the expanded universe. Mm-hmm. But also this is kind of like... This is kind of like the episode one. You know, this is kind of like the Phantom Menace of the expanded universe. So I guess if you look at it that way, where it's like, it's not great, but it's not horrible either. I guess I would kind of sum it up that way. Because I I finally have gotten to a point and I've heard enough things, you know, rumors and, and spoilers and things about stuff that's going on now, way down the line in the expanded universe, that I'm finally intrigued enough that, okay, I want to go back and and check this stuff out and kind of try to get up to speed on what's going on. So, yeah, I think it's a rough start, but it's it's enough to kind of maybe interest me to get back into it. You know what I mean? The book, like I said before, it's always going to have a special place in my heart. And, you know, and what I think that they did right was that the story had its different sections. You know, we had Coruscant. We had, you know, going to Narshada slash Nalhada. Battle of Mon Calamari, and, and you could actually play the World Devastator battle in um, the Nintendo 64 X-Wing game. They have a chapter called Dark Empire, but it's, uh... Like I said, this story, it's its always going to hold a special place in my heart. I don't think it's aged too well, because the Star Wars universe has changed, and what we know about Jedis and Sith and these characters has changed, but it's, um... For what it was at the time, its it kicked off a lot of things, and I like it. Awesome. Well, Josh, I want to thank you again for uh, for joining us for this. It's always a pleasure to yeah, have you. Especially you at ahead? such short notice, too. Yeah, I know. Do you want to uh, go ahead and plug your uh, what you work on? Uh, well, um, I'm um, now. I guess I can say it now. Uh, well, I, you know, I said it on the last episode. I'm a member of a Spider-Man Crawl Space podcast, the Spider-Man Clone Saga Chronicles podcast, and the Amazing Spider-Man Classics podcast. When I'm not podcasting about Spider-Man, I have other podcasts that I need to post new. <laughs> yes, you do. Marvel Star Wars, hopefully it will come back. Uh, it's been a while at this point, but you know, it's it's something that's very very near and dear to my heart that I, you know, that I We haven't get. given up on it. Nope. Not I, at all. I've given up on a lot of things and a lot of projects. That is one that I, that I have not given up on. Well, I'm definitely itching for new episodes, and you know yeah. you are always, always welcome on our show. As a matter of fact, we want to try to get you back next month for next uh, Star Wars Monthly Monday. We want to take a look at at least the first book 
of the uh, of the Thrawn trilogy. So we definitely want to have you back for that. But again, yeah. thanks for joining us. It's always a pleasure to have you. Oh, I love talking Star Wars with you guys. It like it puts me in like these Star Wars moods, you know, for like for days afterwards. <laughs> you can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. Anytime you plan to visit Amazon.com, please be aware that if you use the Amazon.com link located on our website, www.2TrueFreaks.Libson.com, 2 True Freaks will receive a referral bonus for any items you purchase. There is absolutely no additional cost to you whatsoever for doing this. All proceeds go directly toward keeping new episodes of all your favorite 2 True Freaks affiliated podcasts rolling, and it really helps us out. So please... Use our Amazon.com link anytime you plan to visit Amazon.com. Welcome to Amazon. I love you. <laughs> visit our website at 2TrueFreaks.Libson.com. 2TrueFreaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E. F-R-E-A-K-S Libsyn is spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N You can email 2TrueFreaks directly at 2TrueFreaks at gmail.com Join our forum at forumforgeeks.com where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find 2TrueFreaks on Facebook. Just search for 2TrueFreaks. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook, too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook, too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. Two True Freaks has been brought to you today by DeManzo Corps of Milan, Italy, and by the letters F and U.